One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're really, really, really excited uh, about this episode. And I'm going to skip all of my normal stuff that I do prior because we've only got an hour and, and there's not enough time. Uh, but I do want to give just a little bit of a lead in here. First of all, we're going to ask uh, for your open and, and honest listening. And we're also going to uh, ask that um, you just you stay with us. So um, I have brought on today some of my key confidants, uh, people that I reach out to, people that I, I look up to. Uh, and so I'll introduce them really quickly. We've got Mr. Damon Pampolina in the house, who's who's. Uh, a dear friend of mine, and I produce his podcast. We've got my executive producer of the show for four plus years, Mr. Winston Price is in the house. And of course, my brother, uh, uh, Daryl Rivers. And, uh, you know, Daryl uh, is is not only an ex-police officer, but is one of the top five uh, uh, de-escalation trainers in, in, in the world, bar none. And as I talked with these gentlemen throughout the these last couple of weeks, and it's been a very difficult a couple of weeks for a lot of people to figure out what's going on. And, and um, you know, I, I, I've asked and I've listened and, and I've heard a lot. And, and the biggest thing that I keep hearing is, you know, you start with your home, right? You start with your home when you want to have any kind of conversation about race, about anything that's going on with George Floyd or the protests or anything. You need to start with your home. But like, how do I start at home? And so these are the people that I reach out to and start to talk to and to, to make sure that I understand what what's happening out there. And and the whole time I was getting counsel from them, I was like, man, we, we've got to do this in a broader context. This is a conversation that, that needs to be a lot more public. So I'm going to bring everybody in right now, uh, and I'm going to start just to try to, to, to round it out. Daryl, just say hello real quick and, and tell everybody who you are. Hey, my name is Daryl Rivers. As my brother Rick says, uh, my brother from another mother, uh, I'm just a simple guy, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, uh, right out of high school, joined the military. After that, joined the police department. Uh, in Detroit, transferred out in Arizona and retired from there. I was a hostage negotiator and things of that nature. And, and at the current state that I'm in right now, uh, I do de-escalation training all across the nation for local law enforcement. Uh, that's my primary thing. I'll say 80% of my clients are law enforcement and or government entities. And uh, we're in an interesting position right now to be able to talk about our experiences and things of that nature. So demand on law enforcement training as it uh, pertains to uh, things about race, about police profiling, brutality, and things of that nature. Uh, it's definitely changed from what I've experienced in the past five or six years. So uh, this should be interesting. And then, of course, Winston, jump in uh, again, my, my executive producer. But you and I have had many, many conversations on this subject. Oh, goodness. First off, I want to say hi to Daryl, because I grew up in Inkster, Michigan. I went to school uh, in Romulus. Uh, People's Community Baptist Church was my church in Westland. <laughs> and I actually live in Arizona right now. No way. So, yeah, Winston Price, Senior Executive Producer, Voice America Talk Radio Network. That's all you need to know. I want to get to it. Absolutely. And then, of course, most of you who, who follow me, who know me, know this next gentleman, Damon Pampolina, is in the house. Say what's up, Damon. How are you, sir? Honored to be on with these other two gentlemen today, Rick, and, and thank you, man, for giving me this opportunity to talk about the subject matter today. We appreciate it. 
And so, Damon, you and I had a conversation um, last week as well. And, and so, again, forgive me for my sense of maybe being sensitive or not sensitive at this point. Um, but one of the biggest things that that plagues me, and, and I, I've, I've told you this, Winston and, and Daryl as well, and, and I'm going to frame it in a business context first. As, as a consultant, when I go into a company, the one thing I hate is when people run their resume for me, right, to, to tell me how important they are, whatever work they've done. It doesn't matter to me, right? Let's just get to work. Let's get going. But they, they've got to, like, have an ego about that piece. And one of the biggest things that plagues me is is – I feel like I've I've grown up pretty progressive, but how do I not, how do I start a conversation, Daryl, with you without white splaining or having to run down the fact that you know, uh, you know, I have black friends? Like, how do you not sound racist when you go, I'm not racist, I got black friends, or um, I, no, I grew up around black people, so I totally under. And all of that is is what you hear most often when we start to talk about race. What's the the proper way to start that conversation? And you know what? That's a perfect question. Because us as, as African-American people of color, we hear that all the time. Oh, well, you know, I got black friends. It's just like saying, yeah, I always get pebbles in my shoes, man. I absolutely love it. I mean, like, you know, I get it all the time, dude. Like, you know, I got a pebble in my shoe right now. I mean, it's awesome. No, you don't freaking like it. Just because you have it doesn't mean you like it. Um, what, what I would say, what I would preference is, let's just say I am a white male in America. And you know what? I, I, I love all of my brothers and sisters, no matter what their race, color, creed is or whatever. Uh, Rick, what I would say is, you know, some of the dearest people in my life, some of my best friends, some of my closest circle of friends, they don't look like me. They don't share the same pigmentation as I do. You know, so it, it doesn't matter if they're a quality individual, they're a quality individual. I don't, I don't, you know, of course, we all see color. Uh, I mean, unless you're blind, literally. Well, let's take that one, though. You hear that all the time. I'm not right. I don't see color. And you see color. You see like, color. You, you see, see color. color. <laughs> Are people you say that. say that to me? Yeah, it's bullcrap. People yeah, I, I've always felt it should be the opposite. You do see color. You recognize it and you respect it. And that's what makes us so great. That's what makes the human race so great is all our different shades. So I agree with you guys on that. I, that comment drives me crazy. You know, I don't see yeah. that. Oh. Well, but, you know. Yeah, so what I've come to find is that um, you have people with good intentions and you have people with bad intentions. Uh, I used to uh, do some martial arts training, self-defense training at Indiana University out in Bloomington. And we would say that uh, people with the best intentions sometimes give the worst advice and say the worst things. Okay. So I have people tell me that, you know, I don't see color. And what they're saying is, is I respect you. They're not saying I don't see color. They're saying no matter who you are, I respect you. And they don't understand what they're saying is actually offensive. Uh -huh. Nicely so, said. Yeah. yeah, it's beautifully said. And, and let, let's let, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, we're going to be peeling this onion. We're going to get into some junk gang. And we've got a, a, a ton of people out there um, uh, on Facebook Live following us right now. And, and uh, they're going to join in the conversation. And, and for those of you that are on Facebook Live, uh, you certainly can, can pop in a question there. We'll see if we can get it answered. Um, but let's, I, I want to be just completely honest and transparent. I've had a, a, not a, I've had a bias, not a, an intended bias, but I've had a bias before and I do not consider myself, I, I consider myself a valuer of all people. Right. But I've had that, that time where I'm walking somewhere and, and it, it, I've seen a group of white men before I've seen a group of black men before, but I've instantly had an internal bias that, um, made me react in a certain way. How do we start to 
really understand what our internal biases are and how we can start to work with those. Does that make sense, Daryl? That makes perfect sense. Uh, I think the main thing is understanding how we have internal biases, really is realizing that what we're exposed to and how our brain processes it. So, you know, me, I, the, the whole human behavior, cognitive function kind of thing, you know, there's certain parts of our brain that, that does things before we even recognize that something has been done. So it's three things that our brains do immediately upon seeing any person whatsoever. Number one, we say, is that person a threat or not? That's the number one thing that our brain does. It's involuntary. It happens. It's a survival mechanism. Number two uh, uh, in this particular brain system is, uh, is that person sexually compatible with me? That's why when you see someone, you're like, is that a guy or a girl? You don't even think about it. It pops up in your head. Dude, is that a dude or a chick? It's like Pat from Saturday Night Live. You don't know what it is, right? You're like, ah, it's Pat. You know, you don't know, right? And then the third thing is, do I like this person? And then that subconscious part, it takes place, and then we logically try to make sense of it. Now, with that being said, if I'm constantly programmed, that certain people are dangerous, whether it's through Hollywood, whether it's through the news media, whether it's through, you know what, hey, when these people are doing it, it's a protest. When these people are doing it, they're thugs. Whatever that programming may be, that part of our brain in our limbic system called the thalamus, it doesn't differentiate between uh, fact or fiction, okay? It's it's in there, and the moment I intake that information, thalamus says, ah, that's a threat because that's what we've been exposed to. So then you say, well, it's a guy and I don't think I like them. So now all of a sudden you be trying to you try to make logic of why you feel the way that you feel. And then you say, well, maybe they're this or maybe they're that. And then we begin to assume. And it's not like you're actively trying to not like someone. It's just an environment and a systematic uh, uh, exposure that we've been conditioned to 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 uh, to function in. So sometimes we have what's called an implicit bias without our own knowing, without our own doing. And that's just the way that our society is made up right now. Winston, you want to you wanna join in on that? Oh, uh, I'm happy that you brought up the uh, thalamus because a lot of people don't understand their hormones. Yeah. So they don't understand what a hormone cascade is. There's a difference from your uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system and then the hormone cascade. When you step on, attack, okay, it's over. When you get frightened and a hormone cascade starts, that can be with you for weeks. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, guys, we're going to be taking some breaks here, but when we we come back, I'm I'm going to let Damon jump in with a question and then – um, I urge you guys, though, while we're on break uh, on the radio or even Facebook to, to go find Daryl Rivers uh, Facebook page. Uh, Daryl's uh, video that he posted, it was just a couple of days ago, right? It was two days ago. It's already got like 5,000, 6,000 views. It's crazy. But it, it comes from the heart of somebody who is and was and still believes in police officers, but is still dealing with what's, what's happening. And I'm going to get you to tap into that a little bit here on the show. But we're going to take a quick break right here. We'll be be right back and listening to the work-life balance with a whole crew of people this time. Thank you. Right on. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, 
train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes. R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this Friday afternoon of the Work-Life Balance. Thank you so much for hanging along. We've got a a, a big crew today. We've got my man, Daryl Rivers, my executive producer, Winston Price, and my boy, Damon Pampolina, on the line. And Damon, I'm going to throw, uh, throw it to you for our next question. Yeah. Uh, Rick, we talked the other day um, about this. And, uh, we, you know, we were hearing it said quite a bit that racism is something that is taught or it's, it's, it's taught in the homes. It's not something that you're born with. Uh, one of the main objectives, I think, should be from, from Mr. Floyd's passing. And unfortunately, it took an innocent man passing to get us to this point. But it should be the best way to handle our young ones. Uh, my little boy is 10. Um, and to go about teaching that, that common respect, uh, lack of racism within the home, all that stuff. Um, I, that would be probably my biggest question as we want to break this cycle, you know? Um, and I don't know who would want to jump on that question, but man, I would, I would love to hear it. Go for it, Winston. So uh, the first thing I would say that any best approach is going to be a multi-dimensional approach. There is not just one thing, and it is something that is going to be done as a parent until the day you die. It's not going to be a one day, a one hour, a one week thing. First and foremost, the parent needs to lead by example. First and foremost, because that's where that's how all children learn. They learn from their examples, and the parent is the first teacher. The parent is the first coach. The parent is the first mentor. So whatever they see their parent do, that's what they're going to do. Also, inlay other dimensions throughout time. Take them to different war memorials. Take them to different slave memorials. Let them know who is what. Teach them yourself. Show them you have an interest in it. I'll be quiet there. 
Good That's awesome. Him. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, if I can add anything to that, and I, I really, you know, I, I like that, Winston, when you say go take them to the war memorials, give them that history lesson from your perspective. You know, uh, I, I would think another thing that would be really, really uh, beneficial is, is real life exposure. And introduce them to your friends. Let them see you interact personally, not from a, a, yeah. a textbook thing, you know what I'm saying? But say, hey, look, these are the, this is my circle. This, this are the people that I trust. These are the people that I talk to because if they see the people you talk to, those are going to be the kind of people they talk to. You know, right. uh, uh, right. one thing I always used to say about my daughters is that, you know, I recognize that I'm going to be the first man that they ever love. You know, I mean, really think about it. Right. So so I have to give them that perspective of, you know what, you, when when you see your dad and, you know, and, and who you're going to choose in the future, you know, you should see how versatile and diverse your dad is so that you do not select someone that's very myopic or self-centered or stuck on what it is that they, what they view life to be if that's not a good view. So, you know, it's, it's just the, the, the exposure to, to your world and how you uh, function with diversity and, and communicate and, and, and actually have genuine love for people who don't look like you. Yeah, that's beautiful, beautiful. Guys, I'm loving this conversation. Let's keep it rocking. Let's and let's continue to touch tender subjects here. A lot of stuff about defund the police right now. A lot of stuff about police brutality. A lot of stuff about what we should be doing to change and and what change can can come from. And again, I have no authority to speak on that. So what I do is I go to my man Daryl here, who has a a lifetime of service, uh, not only to the nation but to to the police officers. Where does change come from? How does that how does that even work, Daryl? Well, I can tell you what, defunding police is not gonna fix a problem. It's gonna create a whole nother problem. Um I just thought about this this morning, Rick. I was having a conversation uh with a radio personality, uh actually a former news anchor. And a question rose as far as you know, what is the one thing that you would advise citizens to do? to change particular things. I said, well, if you're a good person and you know, you, you, you have good moral standards and great core values, join the police department. Because if you want to really change the police department, become a cop, man. You know, I, I mean, literally this is probably, and, and, and I look at law enforcement professionals and everything like that. This should be the high time for recruitment and say, look, we, have problems we need people who want to make change to join our agencies and, and bring the change be the change that you want to see that's number one uh secondly uh you know we talked about this as far as the i want actions yeah uh and, and that is 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 an acronym for the i want is if we are not them and what kind of actions do we produce if we are not them if, if what we see the craziness, if we don't represent that, if they don't represent us, if we're not them, what do we do? So number one, number two thing I would say for law enforcement is to speak out. You know, say, hey, look, you know what? Uh, there's a small percentage of us that wear this badge that shouldn't wear it and we do not support them. And what ends up happening is that in that area, you begin to gain moral authority as opposed to just your position. Police officers' position authority hasn't gone anywhere. But how far is positional authority controlling those riots? It's not. And the reason why those riots and protesting are going on right now, because moral authority has went in the tank. 
And in order to gain that moral authority back, it's to not defend, hey, we're good cops. It's to say, hey, look, I don't support that. I'm with you. I feel you. I'd be upset too. Matter of fact, I am upset and we don't support that. Those are, I think, I think are the two highlights on how change truly begins. I, I love the I love the conversation about moral authority because if we look at if we parallel this to another universe, right? If we look at the the Catholic Church and the the scandals that were going on there, not all priests are are do bad things to kids, right? Not all, and they have a moral high ground as they should, right? What they're teaching is the right things, just like police officers are to keep the peace. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to protect us, keep the peace. But now there's this thing of all priests do bad things to kids. All cops are bad. How do we, how do we start to really get around and, and educate and, and promote the 98% that are doing great things? Yeah, that's huge. Okay. Huge, Rick. Yeah. So, so yeah. So for me, it is, you need to, you as in all of us, you as in everybody, we need to stop taking particular people and uh, saying that those people represent um, the mass of all the others and do that with every single type of person. Because what happens is, okay, here, look, the most racist thing anybody can ever say right now is black on black crime. And people don't understand how that term is racist. It's racist because you don't have people quoting white on white crime statistics. You don't have people uh, quoting Asian on Asian crime statistics. So what we do is for the black, and I'm, I'm saying black people specifically, not all people of color, for black people specifically, what we do is we say for these people, we can say that these few are the representation of everybody. So all of them are going to be bad, but for everybody else, let's not do that. So you have to do it across the board. And that's going to be tough for a lot of people because they have been institutionalized. There is an institution of um, European colonialism that has been going on for 700 years. And, and this whole European colonialism has all been under the guise of God told us this land is ours. And so to, to actually get to the root of it, we have to get to, yes, there are individual things that we need to do. There are group things that we need to do. And we need to realize that when people are talking about racism, they're talking about the individual racism and the institutional racism. So you need to watch your mouth. Everybody needs to watch their mouth and see what they're saying and how they're saying it. So that's let's one take point that for a second. Oh, go ahead. You have another point. Go yeah, ahead. Um, yeah. I, I want to get back to the uh, defund the police. This is another one of those sounds good might not be totally good from good intentioned people. You need to hear who's saying it. It's the poor people who get their uh, doors knocked in, who get their families killed with police that have guns that look like they're from some sci-fi film, you know? And when they're saying defund the police, we also say we've been defunding education for decades and y'all ain't screamed yet. Right. Ain't screamed a word about defunding education. But as soon as you say defund the police, Oh, then it's on. And when we say defund the police, we're not. What I'm saying when I when I say defund the police, as I say, some of those funds need to go to counselors and mentors that ride along with the police to give them an extra help. What I say when I say we need to defund the police is they need to have better training 
take those funds from they put on the guns and put it in their minds, put it in their pockets so that so 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 that the cops aren't hungry. Uh-huh. Pay them better. Make sure that when a, a police comes in, they've got a four year degree first before they go into their six months into the uh, academy and one and a half years. Make sure that within that uh, four year degree that they're getting sociology training, that they're getting uh, psychology training, that they're getting political science training. So defund the police for me doesn't mean take the money away from the police. It means reallocate it so that the police can be more and better efficient. I'll be quiet. Uh, And I'll let Daryl come into that. Strong, man. That's awesome. As our police officer here. I I can tell you right here and now that this is, as a law enforcement officer, and and you go through a lot of different things, I I believe the one thing that if if I can say, I'm going to invest money into the American police officer to build that person up in one particular area, I would say it has to be that person's mental well-being. I truly believe that 90 plus percent of all officers enter into this particular profession with intentions of saving the world. At least I know I did, okay? In my first four months, I got into my first shootout. Two months after that, I got into my second shootout. (laughs) That changes a young man at 23 years old, okay? You know, uh, and and the thing is, is that I can't tell you how many in Detroit, how many dead bodies I've seen just driving down the street. Oh, there's a body. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to as they were taking their last breath and they died right there holding on to my pants leg saying, where's the ambulance? I don't know how many there were, but I know one thing that did happen is that in my mind, walls began to be built so that that doesn't drive me freaking insane. So what ends up happening is that the empathy of the American officer begins to dissipate with all of the craziness and the chaos that he's constantly being exposed to. So now when another officer is thumping on someone, that empathy isn't there because I've spent years seeing horrible crap that I built walls up around my heart and mind so I can actually go home and hug my kids. So I can actually go home and have a normal relationship with my friends and not think that the human race is 100% crap because no one calls 911 when they're having a good day. They say, I'm having the worst day of my life. Come, I need you to come deal with it. And you're going after, you're meeting people every single day, worst day of their life, worst day of their life, worst day of their life, worst day of their life. And then you get people who want to fight you. Then you get people who run from you. Then you get people who say, hey, I ain't got nothing to do with that. I'm like, you can help me solve this problem. So you're dealing with all of these problems. So if it's one thing that if I can say would be totally beneficial is he is investing in a person's emotional well-being. Now, I've been into, unfortunately, I've had to discharge my firearm in the line of duty. And afterwards, what they do is you go see a psychologist and they want to know if you they just want to know if you're fit to go back out on the street, dude. They give you three days off and they want to make sure that you're not PTSD. And that's it. Hmm. That's it. That is the problem. We get desensitized. We become cynical and empathy goes out of the window. And that needs to change. And we're going to stop right there for a break, but I do have to make a side comment here. Daryl, knowing what you've been through and all this stuff, you are one of my favorite people on the planet. There's not a single time that you and I have a conversation that we don't laugh, we don't have a good time, we don't support each other. And to know that you've come through that to be the person that you are, 
Um, I, I have the most tremendous respect and love for you, brother. Just none other. You're, you're just an amazing person. We're going to take a break right here. We'll be right back with the work-life balance. At the work-life balance, we like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution that was built with resource planning in mind? We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this Friday edition, very special edition of the Work-Life Balance, as we're having an honest conversation about what's going on right now uh, and about race and how, how to talk to each other, how to come through it. And I'm going to give the next question to Damon. Go ahead, Damon. Yeah. Um, as a citizen, you know, you see the situation and hindsight's 2020. There were spectators that, that witnessed uh, Mr. George Floyd, George Floyd's uh, passing. And maybe it's, it's tough, man, but maybe if someone was more busy calling 911 or screaming for help, or something of this nature, instead of just filming it, this, maybe this man could still be alive. Uh, Daryl, I'll give it to you, man. What do you think as far as a citizen, if you know, that we, this God forbid happens again, um, all of our citizens out there listening, what could they maybe do? You know, you listen, you got to give the authority to the cops so they couldn't probably bum rush them or get on top of, uh, the officer that was doing that, but what could maybe have been done? Right on. Great question. Uh, number one, I want to say is, do you want to make a point or do you want to save someone's life? And I think sometimes, you know, with the yelling and the screaming and everything, let me tell you something. 
it's been many times to where I've been at a scene and I get people yelling, screaming, leave him alone. He didn't do anything. You know what that does to me? That brings my vigilance all the way up to 100. Right. Because now right. I don't only have to deal with the person I'm dealing with, but man, I got a mob of people out here that I might have to deal with as well. Okay. And let me tell you something. One thing that just about every law enforcement officer thinks that they're right. <laughs> Honestly, when they're doing what they're doing, they feel like they're, they're right. And when you got everyone else surrounding you and yelling and screaming at you, it's going to cause your vigil your vigilance to shoot to the top. So one thing I would say is, yeah, if you have the opportunity to record, record, because now you, you, you can put that out to the world. But your number one thing that you do need to do is turn it from an officer problem to a is turn it from a police officer problem to a police department problem. And when I say that, when when an individual is fighting someone or something like that, that's a one on one police officer problem. But when you call 911 and says, hey, I am witnessing uh, a police officer being, you know, overly aggressive with a handcuffed individual. Now that's a police department problem. Now it's that police department's responsibility to send someone else out there so that cooler heads can prevail. And if you need to go ahead and stop the recording to make that call, you want to save that person's life. Now, a lot of times people say, oh, I would have just jumped on them and stopped them. Well, you would have been shot. Because right. that's what that, you know, you right. would have been shot, you know, uh, just honestly. You know, if I'm arresting someone and I get a mob of people jumping on me, number one, those guys, the people want to go home, you know, so call 911, have, have other officers get there. Because if the police officers who are there aren't doing their job uh, as far as handling the situation appropriately, call, call someone else that probably will. Because I'm going to tell you, yeah. what, that department isn't full of people that, that think like that. So, Daryl. Well, and on that note. Go ahead, Daryl. Quick, quick, yeah, quick question, Daryl. Maybe, and I know this would be a very rough estimate for you, but it would be great to hear from someone in your position. All of our listeners out there, what do you think the percentage is of corrupt cops? You know, corrupt. so that so that they can understand that, yeah, that this is such a minute part of the department, and we don't want to start this outrage of hating all these cops. Like you said, there's so many great ones out there that love their jobs. What were you two percent? What do we think? You know, yeah. uh, Rick keeps talking about the ninety-eight percent. Does that sound fair? It sounds fair. So, Damien, let me let me let me provide a couple of quick uh, uh, divisions here. OK. Two percent are probably corrupt. Ten percent shouldn't be cops. So just because you shouldn't be a cop doesn't mean that you're corrupt. Got you. you know, so so when I look at corruption, I'm thinking of criminals. You know, it's certain people who are OK, dude, certain people shouldn't be cops. They should have never been hired, period. You know, they're not going to do a good job. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to fulfill the duties of a law enforcement professional, period. You know, some people have no empathy whatsoever. Some people are so nonchalant. You know, they're like, hey, I get a police call about people fighting. They're like, ah, I'm just going to take my time. By the time I get there, they'll be tired and I don't have to fight people. They're not corrupt, but that person shouldn't be a cop. And then you get the person who zooms there to say, oh, hell yeah, I get to fight someone today. Well, yeah, I want you to zoom there, but I don't want you to have that intention. That person shouldn't be a cop. So it's a higher uh, percentage of people who shouldn't be cops. But as far as corrupt, I would say about 2%. I think that you and Rick are correct on the 98% of, of, of gotcha. cops are inherently good. So I want to I want to bring two comments kind of together. Um, and and uh, our, our boy Wayne Brady, and, and, and Wayne is... is you know, a dear friend, somebody I look up to as well. He did an hour and 45 minute Instagram um, uh, a couple of weeks ago or, or last week, I believe that my daughter 
um, uh, actually shared with me as well. And he, he said something that was really profound for me. So Winston, I'm, I'm going to dovetail your comment here and ask for it. But, you know, you were talking about black on saying black on black crime is a very racist thing to say. But it is a go to when somebody says black lives matter. Right. So when somebody goes, hey, black lives matter, the first thing they want to go is, well, what about black on black crime? And they start quoting statistics of how, you know, all that other kind of stuff. And, and Wayne actually said the way he said it, he said, you know what? I'm not going to discuss that. Not that it's not an issue or something that we should discuss. He goes, but the police are the people we call when we need help. And I thought that was a really, really profound way to, to belay that argument, which is a standard mainstream kind of argument. But I wanted you to kind of comment on that with, with the understanding of the, of the police side. Yeah. And that's the thing. They don't help me. You know, when I'm thinking about the people of the community, the, the police don't help me. They only come around when they want to fill their quota. You know, so where I grew up in uh, Indianapolis, Brightwood, 46218, across the street from me was the crack house. You know, you talk about, you know, driving by and seeing a body on the, on the ground. I literally went to go take the trash out, and one of my best friends was in his trunk with his hands cut off. The police don't help me. I don't call the police when I need help. I don't call the police. And so there's this idea that's, that some people have, um, once again, been in, in institutionalized that the police are helpful to all. They aren't. They take 10 to 20 minutes to get to some place. So if my daughter's being raped, the police ain't going to help me. My daughter needs to help herself. If I'm getting robbed in my store, I'm going to be robbed before the police get there. And so there's this romanticized idealism of, of the police. People just need to wipe out, and police need to wipe that out of their heads, too. You're not the savior. You're not the court. The police are not the court. The police are not the court. One more time, the police are not the court. And when the police go out there and they start to make people guilty before they're innocent, that's the other problem. So for me, for a person that the police don't help, I'm not sure what else to say to that, to that point, because the police don't help me. And that's how a lot of people feel. So Daryl, you want to comment on that? Absolutely. Um, when it comes to that, when people say, oh, well, you know, black lives matter, but what about black on black crime? Well, the law doesn't dictate that I got to submit or provide authority to my neighbor. It's as simple as that. You know, the law says I have to submit to law enforcement. You tell me I got to submit to this person. You know, they say stop. I have to stop. If they, you know, whatever. It's certain laws that are afforded to law enforcement that aren't afforded to the regular citizen. So people can say, oh, well, yeah, black on black crime. If black lives don't matter, because look at black on black crime. You know, uh, that is, like you said, it's a very invalid statement. Uh but I think the main thing is that I don't have laws that say when an individual in my neighborhood or whatever the case may be is requesting information from me or they pull up their car behind me and, you know, they have lights on it. I don't have to submit. I don't have to stop. But if law enforcement do it, I have to do this. They've been empowered with certain uh, authorities that regular citizens have not been. And I don't think the question is uh, about the black on black crime or anything like that. 
the real question is, okay, who are you empowering? You know, and, and that's the main thing that I believe when people uh, go there with the whole, you know, well, what about black on black crime? And then the rebuttal is, you know, like you said, you know, I don't feel like the police helped me or, you know, because I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. I've talked to people who straight up say, I can't stand the police. And you know what my normal response is? Dude, sometime I can't either. But I still need your driver's license, wow. registration, or proof of insurance. And then, you know, I'll say, dude, I'm real. I said, dude, sometimes I can't either. But if you cooperate with me, I promise you I won't call any more of them here. And we're both going to be in a better place. You know? Well, and, so. Yeah, and that's kind of my issue with this question situation. It's not actually focusing on the actual problem. The actual problem is, is the person saying black on black is trying to take away from the situation yeah. and get us removed from what's going on. And they're using the black on black to also state that person should have been murdered. They're trying to give examples of why this person should have been murdered and why these things happen. They're not trying to actually help anything. Anytime somebody says, well, black on black, you are a part of the European colonial white supremacist uh, institution because you are distracting from the problem. You're trying to keep the institution the way it is. It's a deflection for sure. And so we're, we're going to go to our final break here, but just to, to try to, to swing us up into a more positive mood. And then I've got a doozy of a question for you at this, but um, Michael Che, the way he says it, I don't know if anybody has caught his routine, but when he, when you hear pushback on black lives matter, he goes, the words matter. He goes, it's, we matter. He goes, I don't think we're, we're having this really big. <laughs> he goes, we haven't, we, we, we started too low with the word itself. It wasn't black lives are supreme. It's just that they matter. <laughs> I thought that was a really, really, really good take, uh, especially to do that. So we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to take our final break right here. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, 
R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back with our final segment of the Work-Life Balance, really, really diving in on honest conversation. I feel like we could have done a six-hour show and not run out of material. There's so much to, to, to talk about here. But one of the things I've, I've noticed quite a bit is, is the, not only, the, you know, one of the big things we, we should be doing is acknowledging white privilege and talking about white privilege. But there's a lot of people apologizing, specifically to black people apologizing for their white privilege. And, and I wanted to see, Winston, we'll start with you. Have you had that experience? And what's, tell, tell me about that. Tell me if that, what, how that makes you feel and, and does that even work? So in my experience, the intent has moved me to tears. Again, really, really good intentions. These are people who are, for them, empathizing. Now, also I say, I don't want your guilt. That is a negative thing. You know, I'm, it's nice that you feel this way. Take all that energy you have with all that guilt and then give me some internal actions. Show me what you're doing. So I, um, again, it has moved me to tears. I have uh, Facebook posts from inboxes that I've had of people just like Winston, uh, you've, you've shown a light on things, you know, and, it's warm and it makes me feel so good. Take that energy, internalize it, and then do something with it. I'll leave it there. Derek? Right on. When you say basically, how does it feel? Um, I've had people say, hey, well, you know, uh, you know, you're my brother, and, you know, and, and, and I know that. And the people who I talk to, I have no doubt in my mind that that's what their position is. Um, but I think in general, when that statement is said, uh, I'm apologizing for white privilege or something to that effect, I believe that uh, it's, it's well known that, that people of color, African-Americans in the United States cannot fix the problem. You know, we can't fix the problem. Uh, and just like any country that that may fall under attack or anything like that, they look for allies and no one's going to invade certain countries who have strong allies. And when when individuals who are being, you know, I would say targeted or discriminated against or an oppressed, when they begin to build powerful allies, the oppressors think twice about attempting to oppress so when I hear the, I apologize for white privilege, what I'm actually hearing is, I'm sorry, I wasn't a better ally. Mm. And I didn't speak out of this. I didn't use my platform or I didn't say, hey, you know what? That's not cool. You know, I need to speak out about this on a bigger scale. That's what I hear, you know, and as Winston said, yeah, it, it's heartfelt, you know, because they really mean it. I know it 100%. So yeah, that, that's just my outlook on that. That's how I view it. Damon, you have any comments, brother? 
Well, when I'm getting from Winston and Daryl, it's funny because no matter what the subject matter is, it usually always gets down to the fundamentals. And the fundamentals on this subject, like a lot of things in life, is walk the walk, talk the talk. Um, I personally, you know, you you brought up in the beginning of the uh, episode about um, coming up and making the statement, you know, I I have black friends and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. It's like it doesn't even need to be said if it's. If it's uh, a genuine feeling, um, you don't even need to say it, right? Like your actions, your, your the respect, what you do, how you. So just walk the walk, like they're saying. That's that's what I've got from uh, from this episode today. That the main thing is, man, show it, prove it, um, and and everything else is kind of irrelevant. And then the words are kind of irrelevant, you know. So uh, yeah, you just 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 if if it's pure. And you are that individual, it will resonate, people will see it, and then that's it. You know, everything else does it really, it's kind of irrelevant. Um, but boy, have I got a great education today, Rick. This was awesome. And I just really appreciate you having me on with these two other gentlemen. This was great. Well, again, you guys you guys have been trusted confidants of mine for years, uh, people I look up to. Uh, you know, when, when, when difficult things happen, we seek counsel, but I also want to make sure that the counsel I'm getting are from people that I look up to, not to people that look up to me, if that makes sense. And, and so you, you guys all fit that bill. Um, we've just got a few minutes left um, before this is, is wrapped up. But um, what I want to do is just kind of give it a round table. So we'll go Daryl Winston, then Damon, and I'll wrap it up. But let's just each kind of take a minute and whatever message you want to send, whatever's on your heart, however we feel like we can wrap up this conversation. Um, and, and for anybody who's listening, what's advice that you would, would give them? So, so Daryl, we'll start with you, partner. Right on, man. Number one, I appreciate you, man. Love you much, brother. And thanks for having me on with, you know, with a, such a great panel of individuals. Um, my number one thing is, man, don't expect you from everyone else. You know, we're acting like, hey, well, why isn't this person speaking up? And why isn't that person speaking up? They are speaking up. By maintaining their silence, they're telling you where they stand. And, and we have to cause a bright differentiation saying, that's not us. We, we are not them. That stuff that's going on there, we are not them and have actions to prove it. So number one that I would say, and I say this all the time, I don't have to tell you your car is dirty and filthy. I just got to shine the hell out of mine and park right next to you, people that get the point. <laughs> so when you actually are out here walking the walk and you're doing your thing, those who are in folly will be recognized and leave it at that. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, don't impede the process. Uh, make sure you're not using the one-liners. Whenever I hear someone say, I have a black friend, I go, misogynists marry women all the time. You having a black friend doesn't mean you're not racist. <laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. Right? So just like Daryl said, just like uh, we are saying, live it every day. It's not a, it's not a one-day thing. It's, a, it's for the rest of your life until you die. When I walk out of this house, I need to be aware of what every woman thinks about me because of what every woman has gone through in her life. And I need to empathize with that every day of my life. When I walk out and I see elder people, I need to realize that they've been through a lot of, a, a lot of things in their lives with um, elder abuse and elder care issues. So I need to realize that there are so many different bad things going on for so many different people I need to go out and shine my car. I need to be that bright light, as Daryl says, so that other people can see the light. I'll be quiet. 
Damon, love it. Go for it, brother. Uh, yeah, basic fundamentals, man. Come from a place of respect, right? It's it's it's, it's so simple, but yet it seems to get lost. And and I'm hoping that this uh, this man's death was not in vain. Again, here we are in 2020, still dealing with this. It kind of blows my mind. But nevertheless, learn from it. Come from a place of respect. And Rick, we talked about this, which is what you're doing today, which is awesome. Is communication, communication key communicate, talk, do not be scared to ask those questions so that you then learn and you can correct them moving forward, whatever that may mean in this platform, right? But communication, uh, which is what you did for us today, Rick, which was awesome. Um, you had a great panel on and everybody's communicating. What a concept. Well, and I, I can't thank all of you uh, enough. This actually kind of all happened at the last minute. So, you know, I, I started reaching out, people jumped in. Winston and I had a conversation last week that that really started this. And so just individually, really quickly, I already said what I feel about you, Daryl, earlier. Uh, Winston is when, when I was approached to do this radio show almost five years ago now, um, I, I was kind of blown it off at first and I was supposed to have like a 20 minute conversation with Winston. I think we were on the phone for three and a half, four hours and, and have been friends ever since. And I appreciate and love you. And Damon, you and I go way back. Uh, as well, and, and love your energy that, that that you can bring to any situation. So I, I appreciate that. I, I think my final words here is, you know, this was my platform. This is my opportunity to try to to start a conversation, which is all I was asking to do. What I ask for everybody out there is to be able to have a pure conversation, to be to be unafraid to call. You know, I was unafraid to call Daryl and say, Daryl, this is what I'm feeling. Help me understand why I'm feeling this way. Is it okay? You know, Daryl and I talked uh, uh, briefly. I had a, a very brief incident where I was almost jumped uh, uh, just solely for the, the color of my skin. I walked through the, the, the wrong place. And I said, you know, that was one instance, one feeling that I can hold on to when I remember that fear, which is something that, you know, is probably a, a one thousandth of the times that Daryl or Winston has felt that way. Um, and so I can, I, I understand that feeling, but I still don't feel like I can empathize. And, and I think that that's a really important part for us to understand is we honestly can never know. I can honestly never know, Daryl and Winston, what you feel, what you've gone through. All I can do is listen and be your friend when you need me. And Daryl, I, I will tell you this, you have an ally in me every day of the week for, for, for eternity, brother. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Winston the same, Damon the same. Again, gang, uh, thank you so much for allowing us to have this conversation and, and gracing this uh, platform. All the people on Facebook Live, all the people uh, listening, all the people that will hear this on a podcast, we thank you. And uh, you can always tune in next week for the Work-Life Balance. Thank you so much. You have a great week. Love you, brother. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.